All right, guys, we're going to open up today's episode with a Q&A type of situation. I think it's fitting given the topic today. Um, this one comes from SM Performance Coach, and they wrote in, and this is a very common thing that I'll get uh, every week or so, whether it's a DM or an email. And we also address kind of the nature of this in the episode called The Leadership Lie. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, please make sure and go back. Uh, it says, hi, Brett. I hope you don't mind reaching out to you, me reaching out to you, but I'm looking for advice as I'm having problems with a fellow colleague and coach. My own coaching style <laughs> is that I'm more of a listener than a talker, and I'm quiet in general. I've been coaching for over five years, and I'm still learning. Yet this new coach constantly interrupts me when I'm coaching or teaching, and or an athlete a new exercise, and he always seems to want to have the last word. I'm unsure the best way to approach this is as if it keeps happening. Do you have any tips or advice? So real quick, guys, what I always have to un respond to this on is, of course, I can offer tips and advice, and I will, so hang with me. But the, these questions are the very reason we have bought in our online course all about communication, human drives, conflict resolution, all these things. And right now, with everything going on with the coronavirus, we're tripling down on all of our efforts to get these resources into your hands. They're open year-round. They only used to be open twice a year. But here's the other limitation. There's only so much that you can get across via DM or an email response. And so a lot of times when people reach out, the thing that I struggle with is, so we created this 10 hour course, self-paced, all these things to answer these things, not only help you get to the bottom of it, but give you tools. These aren't courses where it's like me in front of a tripod camera and I'm just sitting there blabbing on. We actually give manuals, workbooks, archetype guides, um, things that you can write down, notepads, <coughs> downloadable tips, excuse me, and also just little cheat sheets for how you can navigate this. Those are things that you can't get across in a DM and an email. So please, I urge you if you're listening, if you have common situations, whether you're having conflict with parents of different kids, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an administrator, I know we have some folks at the local school here in Cherokee County that listen. And we also have folks that you know nationwide are educators or business owners. If you have people-related difficulties of all kinds, bought in is for you. Even though I use the term athletes and strength and conditioning, it's relative to every field. I just can't insert every noun. I say that again and again, because I want to encourage you to understand, think of this, how many online courses do you guys know of that teach you about drives, human interaction, communication, influence, all these pieces? There's not many. And our course has over 200 references. So I am going to answer this question because I appreciate all of you that reach out. But please just understand if you want more than just kind of a quick answer and you actually really want to build this skill or you want your staff to build this skill and you want to dive deeper so you're not always solving downstream problems, but you can create upstream solutions through true understanding, I highly recommend Bought In. And you can find it at artofcoaching.com. Just go to online courses. It's open year round. And if you have questions on it or anything, we have a full FAQ page, but you can always email info at Art of Coaching. All right. So going back to this, the issue is simple. Well, not simple, simple in theory, right? So we have somebody who's more of a listener and yet there's another coach that always interrupts and this coach feels kind of bulldozed, right? He's like, hey, I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to educate. I'm a little quieter, but we have this new guy and, and maybe he's trying to come across as a know-it-all. Maybe he's not. I mean, here's the thing. And we talk about it and bought in. Most people just aren't very self-aware. They don't know what they're doing. So there's, there's a lot of ways we can tackle this, but let's talk about just one at a time. Okay. One is don't bury the lead. One, have a conversation with this coach. Let them know how you feel. Just say, Hey, 
you know, I, I understand you're probably trying to help. I always assume the best. And, you know, I want you to help too. I'm, I'm glad to have you as a part of this staff, but I feel like you're kind of interrupting. And not only that, this is about the athlete and the people I'm trying to teach. It's not really about you. And I'm trying to just be patient and build rapport and have some true learning. And these are three things that I feel like I could really, you know, use your help with in terms of making sure that our message is clear and we're not confusing this guy and it doesn't look like we're competing. This person may have no idea that they're doing what they're doing. There's times where people have told me, hey, uh, you know, when you're on the floor, sometimes you're intimidating. And I'm like, really? And they're like, well, you're kind of intense. And I don't realize that I'm intense because I care a great deal about what I do. But sometimes that, you know, we, we can't control how other people perceive us. And so having an honest conversation is always first and foremost. And, and I find that a lot. Most people think that other people are the issue. But then I say, hey, well, what have you done? Have you gone and talked to them? Have you opened up? Have you been transparent? Have you just, you know, assumed the best and, and kind of try to seek more information, seek to understand? And the answer is no. It's kind of like a close friend of mine. They moved recently and, uh, you know, he said, my wife's struggling. And I go, well, why is she struggling? And he says, well, you know, she had a really close community in, in our other house or our other city. And here she just kind of, you know, has stayed in the house. She's not, hasn't really gotten out there. She's still trying to adapt to a new town, new city. And she doesn't really feel like anybody in the neighborhood has been super welcoming. And I said, well, what's the conflict? And he says, well, I told her like, you know, at the same time, have you, have you gone out and introduced yourself? You know, the neighborhood's got a Facebook group. Have, have you gone out and, and at least knocked on a door and, and just got to know anybody? And she was like, well, no. And, you know, it dawned on her later that, you know, she thought that other people weren't being welcoming, but really she had just been reclusive, which is not really how she usually was. She's usually pretty outgoing, but she hadn't moved that much before. So this was uncomfortable. And so that brings me to point number two. How people behave is largely context-driven, and we're talking about it in today's greater episode, and I also did a YouTube video on this on my YouTube page, but people won't behave the same way in every environment. You know, when I go lead workshops, I'm very extroverted, I'll be gregarious, but when I'm at home, guys, I'm pretty quiet. I just kind of want to be left alone. At any point in time, I have like 40 unanswered texts and no matter how quickly I try to answer them, I just get more and there's always emails and this. And so I have to find pockets of stillness and solitude. And if I have any hope of wanting to be able to be extroverted, then when I go speak. So just keep in mind how somebody is in one environment isn't how they are in another. You know, I'm pretty outspoken on this podcast. I'm not outspoken in every area of my life. I take a great interest in people and there's times where I'll just maybe ask questions and I don't want to be the center of attention. I have to deal enough with that when I'm on stage and speaking. I just like being around people. Similarly, you'll have people that, oh, this person's lazy, this person's rude. Well, how do you know? Have you observed them in every environment? Have you observed them in other social groups? Because that's another thing. People don't just act a certain way in a different environment. They act a different way in groups as well. We always do. And this is what bought in. We, we have a really clear-cut graph and printable sheet that you can utilize that says, hey, if you're having issues with a person or a behavior, look at these three to five things. And we lay that out for you. It's a graphic included in, in our online course. So if you're somebody that likes having those kinds of notes to refer back to, I definitely recommend checking that out. So <laughs> let's go the other way because we've talked about how to approach it first. Uh, just assume the best and, and go have an honest discussion with that person. And that's also why I tell people when they reach out and say, hey, I'm having trouble with this person, that person, what do I do? My answer to you is always going to be, well, what have you done? You know, if, if I go to a doctor and I say, hey, I want medication, he's going to say, whoa, 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 like, wait a minute. What, 
what are you, what symptoms are you experiencing? He's not just going to be like, okay, here's your pills. But we have that a lot of times. So just remember, if you do reach out, and I welcome you all to reach out, you know, but it is helpful if you've reviewed the course materials and everything we put out first. Remember, talk about what the conflict is, what you've tried, specific influence strategies you use from our courses, what strategies you've utilized from our free field guide or my book, because that helps us speak a common language. And then we can get a better or more clear idea. If I have trouble with a math problem, it's not enough for me to tell my teacher I have trouble with math. I have to explain how I'm thinking about the problem so they can lead me to the answer, right? So that's huge. Um, let's assume now that this person is actually doing this insidiously, right? They're, they're trying to domineer. And it doesn't say that. Remember, this person says the new coach constantly interrupts me when I'm coaching or teaching. Uh, and, and the key there is new coach, right? A new coach is often anxious to show people what they know. They can be so pumped to help that again, this la it's like a puppy. It's this lack of self-awareness. Oh, this is what I learned. I, I dealt with this with interns all the time. We would do an exercise and an intern would jump in and be like, oh, you know, this helps with rate coding and, and this will help with rate of force production. And you know, this one will help. And the athlete's like, cool, dude. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just trying to get better. Like it's overwhelming. And I'd have to take the intern to the side. And I've been this person too when I started. And I was like, dude, hey, just like calm it down. I get it. You want to help. But like, the best food, the best tasting food cooks slowly for a reason. Just relax, relax a little bit. And so, you know, if it's a new coach and they're jumping right in, you know, just get to the bottom of it. One, they may not be self-aware. Two, they're trying a little bit too much to help. They're, they're not really noticing what they're doing. That goes into self-awareness. But if they are doing this to, to bulldoze and, and try to show you up, then again, it just goes into a simple conversation. I still think you owe it to this person to sit them down and kind of just politely kind of get to know them a little bit more, what's driving them, how they feel like, you know, they're they're going about helping through what they're doing, what their ultimate goals and aims are. I always say you don't really know somebody until you know what they've been through or what they want out of life. You know, when people say, hey, Brett, you seem aggressive, you seem intense. Well, sure, guys, I almost died at 15 years of age. I saw some members of my family die early. Like I have an urgency baked into my DNA because I don't feel like I'm here long. And I'm really hard on myself for that reason too. And so, of course, I'm going to want to help other people maximize their potential. See, like for me, strength and conditioning and coaching in general is nothing more than a tool to teach other people what they're truly capable of. I'll say that again. Strength and conditioning coaching is nothing more than a tool to teach other people what they're capable of. So, like I want to focus on getting the most out of people. But, you know, there's no way around it. If you have conflict with somebody, assume the best but seek to understand, get to know them, get to understand. And if this person is doing it for a reason that is not, you know, altruistic, then you need to have another discussion. You need to just talk to them about the values, set standards and what you're doing. You need to make sure they understand that you're on the same team there. It's not about you. It's about the people you're serving and that they got to drop the agenda. But again, just going off the limited context I got here, and I can't answer every DM guys, I'm sorry. Again, it's the reason I do the podcast, the YouTube, and the courses, we, we answer all those questions there. But remember, he said, my own style is I'm more of a listener than talker, and I'm quiet in general. I've been coaching for over five years, but this new coach constantly interrupts when I'm teaching. I'm unsure the best approach. Here's the best approach, consolidating everything I've said. A direct one. Just go have a conversation. Seek to understand. If you're a good listener, this should come naturally. Because inherently, good listeners should focus on asking great questions. Not yes or no questions, just say, hey, uh, what's the ultimate goal here? What are you trying to achieve? 
you know, how, how do you think your communication style comes across? Um, are there any things that you think that could be done better? And share also things that you deal with too. I always try to admit fault and God knows I have plenty of them. You know, I say it on the podcast all the time. One of the things I love teaching communication skills, like about teaching communication skills is we'll never be perfect at it. You'll hear it. There's some episodes where I'm very fluent. I speak clearly. There's other episodes where I have some disfluencies. I have so much on my mind that it's hard to get out. And you know what? That's natural. That's human. But if you don't address things head on, and I don't mean head on as in like this brazen conflict laden approach. I just mean like, go talk to the person. That is what we've lost guys in society. We've lost the ability to discern through conversation and through listening what really drives people. And that's why we make the mistake of thinking they're doing this or they're lazy or they're trying to dominate or they're trying to show me up. Oftentimes it's really not any of those things. I say it in conscious coaching. People want to be validated. They want to be acknowledged. So many coaches want to be seen as the expert, not to pat themselves on the back, but because they want the trust and goodwill and faith of those they lead. It's a really tough field, guys. You have to try to rise above a lot of noise. But remember, the worst noise is the kind that goes on in your own head. Take a deep breath. Focus on getting to know what drives people more. Hopefully this episode will help. But if you really want to dive deep, check out Bought In. It's open year-round, artofcoaching.com. All right, here we go. Enjoy today's episode. Please leave a review. Please stay safe and healthy. I'm thinking of all of you during this time. And as I said in the last episode with Matt Juan, it will pass. Take a breath. Here we go. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, glad to have you back for another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. We're going to dive right into this one. The topic for today's episode comes from a longtime newsletter subscriber named Michael. Michael has been a part of our newsletter at the Art of Coaching since the very beginning. And if any of you are on the newsletter, you know it started out kind of once a month, then twice a month, and then through your feedback, we've started now doing it weekly. And we get some great fodder for the podcast. We get some really interactive people on the newsletter. So we're really thankful for people like you, Michael, and we're going to dive right in. So Michael asks, what do you do about athletes who cheat reps or genuinely seem generally, sorry, seem unmotivated within the weight room? Now, just to give you guys some clarity, and Michael's email was fairly long, so I'm going to be a little bit more uh, consolidated in my approach to it. Michael was not talking about a difficult athlete. So if you follow me on YouTube, you know I have a video on how to deal with difficult athletes. Where Michael was going with this email is generally just, hey, like some of these motivational tactics don't seem to be working with this guy. He just seems kind of laconic, non-responsive. 
responsive. We can't really figure out what it is. Now, sometimes a guy uh, wasn't doing all of his reps. Sometimes he kind of seemed going half speed, but it didn't seem like it was devious. It seemed like there was just something else going on. So it prompted a discussion and we did a couple other newsletter exchanges about this in subsequent weeks, just about motivation and this whole theory. And I wanted to do an episode on what not to do when it comes to motivating what some perceive to be lazy athletes. I think there's a ton of things out there that kind of wax poetic about what you can do and five strategies and six ways. And, but nobody ever really talks about what is actually ineffective. What should we avoid? So that is where we're going to dive into today. Now we're going to get right to it. So the number one thing you should not do when trying to motivate a quote unquote lazy athlete is assume they just don't care. As a coach, you need to look deeper and excavate the why of anybody you work with. The truth is there is a myriad of factors that influence our behavior. Now, these factors can include our internal drives. So that could be what is that athlete's unique why or driving force. It's a subconscious influencer of behavior. It's We talk a lot about drives on my online course bought in, but here it's, you know, this is kind of you getting an idea that and, and realization that not everybody's going to be driven by the same thing, even if that is team goals or these unselfish aspirational appeals, like do it for the person standing next to you. I know that that seems like to us as coaches that that could be a bad thing, but guys, it's just the competitive landscape. There are some athletes out there that have selfish desires. They want to achieve certain things that are more focused on them and not necessarily other people. Now, is that wrong? Of course, that depends on context. We want athletes who are playing for each other. Um, but again, if we didn't have people that were inherently selfish to some degree, it would be really boring to watch people compete in foot races or sports in general. So when we think about drives, you know, in bought in, we talk about learn, acquire, bond, and defend. And we have a step-by-step -step process of how you can determine those things. But what you need to know for this episode is that Again, everybody is going to be influenced by different things. So you can't really expect if you're coaching a team of 60 plus or 30 plus or even 15 plus athletes that you're going to be able to speak in generalities and motivate them all. Also keep in mind, motivation is very different than a drive. Motivation is something ephemeral. It's temporary. All of you can watch a YouTube video today and get motivated. That motivation may not last. A drive is is something that genuinely lingers and is a part of who we are. It's at the very core of our being. Uh, for example, I am very strong drive to learn. I'm a curious person. At the same time, I am very much a drive to bond. You know, I really enjoy being around other people that like having deeper conversations that are mutually curious and that also just want to talk about bigger picture things. Now, nobody has ever won drive and we can do a whole separate episode on this, but if, if it interests you in totality, check out the course, but just keep in mind that those things are more indelible. Everybody's going to have different drives. So what else, right? Perception. You have to think about what is that individual's history. And I'm not just talking about training history. I mean, history in general, you know, what is their confidence level in regards to the activity that they don't seem motivated in? 
perception speaks to one's frame of reference, which is often based on a combination of our past experiences, our unique biological wiring, cultural expectations, interests, and moods. So obviously a motivated or non-motivated athlete is going to look different across cultures. And sometimes we as coaches tend to read into these things a little bit too superficially. We see something and because of that causal bias, we think, oh, they, they don't seem engaged. They don't seem you know, energetic. They don't seem fired up. Therefore, they must not be bought in. Guys, buy-in is much more complex than that. So you have to think about their perception, not just of the space that they're working in, but what you're asking them to do, their own perception of their ability to perform said task. That influences self-efficacy. Perception really is a powerful thing. And we're going to build all the other components I'm going to mention are going to build off that. There's education. Now, education goes hand in hand with perception. And this doesn't mean, did they go to a four-year institution? Are they a Mensa member? What I mean here is, do they fully understand the benefits of what you're asking them to do in the first place? And most importantly, how it relates to what they care most about. So I get that most of us as strength coaches care about, you know, getting them stronger and injury prevention and all these things and, and getting them faster and improving rate of force development. But they're what they care about could be completely different. And this was the whole essence of a lot of what conscious coaching my book was about is you need to understand that just because you're really engaged in activity or just because you enjoy the training process or just because as an athlete, you understood the value of everything you did in the weight room or the practice field or what have you, or the court, whatever your sport is pitch that they love it the same way you do. That's just not the case. Many of our athletes don't enjoy the training process. They don't enjoy these kinds of things, right? And and that's the mistake of coaches choosing a profession more often than not based on their passion. A lot of strength coaches get into the field because they feel like, oh, I enjoy training. I enjoy the weight room. Uh, it's transformative. I enjoy working with athletes. Well, that's where passion can mislead you. If you want to be an effective strength coach or coach of any kind, but definitely a strength coach, and I know this can seem paradoxical, you have to enjoy working with people. Guys, one of the earliest ways that I separated myself within my field is I liked challenging athletes and challenging meaning guys with bad attitudes, guys that seemed unmotivated, guys that other people couldn't reach. I just realized that nobody else wanted to work with those athletes, and I was always curious. Now, part of that is, and again, if you've read my book, you're familiar with the archetypes. I'm a little bit of a Wolverine. You know, I'm a skeptical guy myself, and I never really had people explain things to me, and, you know, a lot of it was vagaries if they did. And so I understand why certain people are skeptical. I understand why certain people I don't trust easily, and I wrote a book on building trust. Uh, but I've been in a lot of situations in life where that trust has been, uh, let's just say, misappropriated. And so, you know, you have to understand that 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 matters. And so you have to explain things and you can't just do start with why and go into some long, laborious explanation, like make it relate now. If they care about getting faster, if they care about uh, more torque on, uh, on, on their punch or something that they're doing, if they care about, you know, whatever their perception is, even if they don't use the correct vernacular, address that, acknowledge it. It's so important. And they're not going to have the same frame of reference that you're going to have. Now, let's talk about environment. Is the environment engaging? Not to you, but to them. Again, I know it's tempting to say, well, if they're here for the right reasons, they should just lift or train and shut up. But that's akin to saying that if all coaches wanted the best for their athletes, they should consider multiple viewpoints and be more open to alternative motivational strategies. Well, duh. 
But as the comments in this audio will show and the comments that I've received uh, sometimes on other platforms, many coaches don't want to work that hard to motivate others. So it's funny because they feel like an athlete should just show up and it shouldn't matter the environment. But then, you know, we don't hold ourselves to that same level of accountability. The point is, is people don't always do what they're supposed to do just because they're supposed to do it. That's life, guys, whether that's investing, whether that's people taking medication, what have you. So if you're going to say that somebody is lazy just because they're automatically showing up and not giving what you consider to be 110%, well, get ready to deal with a lot of circumstances that are going to annoy you. If you're a parent, do you think your kid is going to do everything at 110%? Do you never really think that you're going to have to manipulate the environment to get them to do something you need them to do? You're going to have to. Engagement matters. That's the bottom line. Uh, we see this in, I mean, this is why people work on creating user interfaces that are engaging apps, that are engaging games, that are engaging all kinds of platforms, because at the end of the day, we know that engagement drives higher level effort. And that is the core of buy-in is how do we build trust? How do we build this sense of commitment, this relational kind of dyadic environment so we can maximize engagement and really get to know people. So environment matters. Age. Put simply, age matters. An 11-year-old is not half of a 22-year-old. And coaching adolescents or people of any age are going to present their own unique challenges especially when you're working with kids. Now, an adolescent is defined, depending on the literature you read, as somebody from 10 to 24 years old. Now, that's notable because the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that deals with true rational decision-making, uh, you know, all these kinds of higher-order judgments and things, doesn't really develop until 25. So if you're sitting here expecting a student athlete to come in, be fully motivated, do everything with 110%, Day after day, time after time, with no latency, with no down days, with no anything, you know, in perpetuity, whether that's two years, three years, four years, or whatever, however long you have them, guys, you don't, you're not managing your expectations. That's just not reality. Like, these guys are going to wake guys and gals, and guys is a unifying term here, uh, are going to wake up and they're going to be in different moods. They're going to have different things going on in their life. And, and there's a ton of different things that go on throughout that lifespan that are really hard that they're dealing with, whether that's puberty, whether that's uh, things that they're dealing with with boyfriends and girlfriends, which we're going to talk about next, whether that's anything, you know, there, you understand like every age comes with its own unique challenges. So that's going to influence things and social agents. So this is great. Group dynamics. What are their outside relationships? What are their relationships like with teammates and coaches on the inside? You know, social agents are any influencing factor that comes from another individual that can even be marketing, social media, Instagram, all those kinds of things. But, you know, and we've talked about this before on the show. We've talked about it in other resources, certainly my book. There's been a mere, there's been a lot of times where somebody comes in and they seem like something's wrong and you can't really get it out of them and it's a crap session. And then you decide you're going to quote unquote, hold them accountable. And then you find out it was something fairly dramatic guys, full transparency. I got on an athlete. I mean, I reamed them last off season and I found out that he had just came back from a funeral. And it was just like, you know, you always feel like, how am I supposed to know that? I mean, I had asked him tons of questions. I've written a book on this stuff. I try to be very introspective, but it goes hand in hand with what I talk about in conscious coaching. Some things just happen on someone else's time. And at the end of the day, they've got to be the ones to disclose what might be holding them back. And that's not always going to happen because you will it out of them. 
All right. So that's what you should not do. Point number one, assume they just don't care. The other points are quite a bit quicker. Uh, that first one's pretty in depth. The second thing is blame it solely on them. Listen, you need to take ownership as a leader and you means we, right? So anytime I say you in the context of this podcast or a video or anything, I'm talking about we, I'm, I'm a part of this too. All right. So I don't want you to feel like I'm singling you out, but you got to take ownership as a leader. There are coachable moments everywhere. And if you're going to take an approach that just because someone doesn't seem to be going all out all of the time, that they're lazy or that they're not worth trying to coach, then you shouldn't be a coach in the first place. So I've heard people say, well, if they're not bought in and they're not this, just kick them out. Don't let them infect the team. Guys, that is so lazy. And that's again, why we created those archetypes. Yes, there are manipulators. Yes, there are all kinds of people that are going to try to do things behind the scenes. And yes, there might even come a time where you've got to part ways. But if you your initial approach is to say, well, they don't seem on board, so they're off the team or they're out of the weight room and this is a privilege. That is such tremendous, uh, that's just a blind spot, right? There's a there's a lot of social bias on that. That's really, and th- that when you look at, if you guys have conscious coaching available anywhere around you, I talk about the 13 coaching mistakes to avoid. And one of them is swimming in your own social bias. And it goes hand in hand with what I'm saying here is, you know, regardless of where you're from and where your athletes are from, learning to appreciate the way people deal with different things is part of just being a mature social human being. You know, we're not all going to deal with things a certain way and, and maturity doesn't always happen at the same time. So yes, when they're at their most difficult is when they need you the most. What, you're just going to quit? And I hate when people say, well, I don't have time. I got 100 other athletes or 50 other athletes. Man, that's your job. Your job is to make the time. So go find that individual. Go meet them on their turf. Find a way to do something. But for you to say that they're just out of here and I don't have this, you're not a dictator. So that is not an effective way. More often than not, it's on us. So situations like this are a great opportunity to reflect upon your own coaching practice and assess what you may not be doing correctly. And that's really where you want to start. That's the whole reason my book, Conscious Coaching, was divided into sections of essentially know yourself, know thy athlete, know thy strategies. You have to have a keen sense of self-awareness because we all suffer from this better than average effect, which is something we talk about in our apprenticeships is, you know, it's, it's so easy to use fundamental attribution error and point it on somebody else. But guys, I mean, for, for many of you, when is the last time, well, let's try this. Can you name 10 things you do poorly as a coach right now, specifically 10 things you do very poorly as a coach right now? Chances are, if you can't do that within 60 to 90 seconds, you have not looked in the mirror closely enough. And this is not a young coach thing either. This applies to older coaches, people in the middle of their career, so-called experts. Guys, it, it applies to me. You know, I'm constantly berating this, you know, and, and if you're not evaluating and you're not looking at these things, if you can't sit here and say, all right, these are the coaching styles I tend to use in these types of situations. These are the tactics I rely upon, and this is why I do it. These are the strategies that I seem to use most, and this is kind of why. Those are, if you're not doing those things or asking those kinds of questions, you're behind. Now, as a freebie to this episode, if you guys look in the show notes, 
you're going to have a free PDF where you can do this. Just a simple baseline assessment, some questions you can ask yourself, call it a reflection guide, if you will. They're separate to our podcast reflections. It's another bonus that you can use. So check the show notes. It's a free download. You'll have that. I've created them. So it's very easy to implement for you and your staff. Uh, Many people, these were originally included in my online course, bought in. And then a lot of folks just said, Hey, our staff likes them. Can we use them? So I wanted to make that part free to you guys. Um, so download it, send it to your staff. The people that have been using it, they they've done things where certain months out of the year and quarterly, they make everybody fill it out the minute they come off the floor. And they said, it's just been enlightening. You know, when people are really open and, and saying, wow, like I had no idea. Yeah. I used this strategy. This is why I did it. Or, you know, I just kind of defaulted to this. And this was the response I got from it. It's pretty enlightening. So, So the next thing you should do, and just to recap, We've talked about things you should not do. Assume, don't assume they just don't care. Do not blame it solely on them. That's about taking ownership as a leader, being more self-reflective. And then don't punish the entire group. Now, hear me out on this one, all right? Because there's a little bit of a duality. When, when I've gotten these discussions before, there's been coaches, and I've done this too, that have said, hey, if somebody's acting up, if somebody's misbehaving, if somebody's missing reps, whatever, I have them go to kind of cadences or tempos. Now, again, I've done this, so I, I get that. It's kind of like, hey, let's create this accountability. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie White Squall, right? There's a million movies like this, whether it's White Squall, Remember the Titans, what have you, you know, kind of where we go one, we go all kind of thing, and that's fine. But Let's look at another variation of this. Cadences and tempos telling everybody, hey guys, you're jacking around. I'm gonna have everybody line up on the whistle. We're gonna do this right. Down, one, down. That's what I mean by cadence and tempos. They may fix the immediate issue by itself, right? So like, yeah, maybe everybody's going, you can keep track of the reps, you can get the whole room on command. It sucks for everybody, so they're gonna get the point. But that doesn't help the long-term morale or overall cohesiveness. It doesn't allow, it also doesn't allow for bespoke coaching to take place because now you have coaches, whether it's you or your assistants or an intern or what have you. Now they're busy counting and watching this and watching that. It doesn't really allow for coaching moments. It doesn't. Right? And there's going to be that, whether you're having somebody all squat at a certain tempo, press at a certain tempo, push up. Everybody's still got unique biomechanical deficiencies and inherent strengths and weaknesses. So now, You've taken everybody, even the guys that do guys and gals that are doing well, you've made them go onto this cadence, which great, you know, you can say in the sake of unity and what have you, it's, it's going to do something, but like, are you going to rely on that long-term? Is that your default? What's, what's your next plan? So, you know, and, and that feeds hand in hand with this other part of taking a purely militaristic approach. That's, that's another dangerous way that a lot of people try to punish the entire group. Now, let's be real about something. Playing sport should never be compared to going to war in the literal sense. I understand metaphorical tendencies. I do. And I understand that some teams and some organizations, and that's fine. I'm not criticizing this. It is what it is, right? They have their own reasons. I'm not a part of that. And I'm not saying I would change it if I was, whatever. Everybody's got their own reason and there's a place for everything in most cases. But a lot of teams and organizations love the Navy SEAL thing or the Marine thing and they go train them and they go do this and it's cohesiveness and bonding and the term they love to use is mental toughness and and what have you. And I'm sure somewhere is a coach shaking his fist right now being like, well, that's how it works. You know, this is a unit and it's got to be rigidly controlled and defined. Well, whatever. Okay. So I understand the metaphorical tendencies. 
But if the only motivational tactic you have in your back pocket is to consistently draw upon the most extreme and violent outcome known to man going to war, you are likely not being creative enough. And even if you do find that to be successful in the short term, just like the cadences and tempos, it's not a renewable resource. You can continue to go back to that again and again if you want, but numerous athletes aren't going to respond to that. After a while, they're just not, you know, and that might they might put on a game face. They might hoop and holler and, and use impression management to make you think they're on board. But like, guys, like not everybody looks at sport as going to war. These Most of these kids did not get into sport because the concept of going to war sounded appealing to them. And, you know, to a degree, this is just me. To a degree, but I wor- I've worked with special forces. I've worked with a lot of my brother-in-law was a uh, was a marine. So this is just to me, and we've talked about it too. Is and and by the way, it's not actually it's not just me. Go back and listen to the episode with Mike Megan, who's an Army Ranger, right? He'll talk about this as well. You know, to me, it's a little insensitive. It's a little insensitive to the military to act like these guys and gals going out and do it, playing their sport, whatever that is. Again, it could be rugby, it could be soccer. You know, although I, I don't really hear many soccer coaches tend to say going to war, that tends to be an American football thing. But like, I just don't think those two should be compared. I think that I get it and I understand that's how some people jive and get down, but I, I, that's not going to work long term. Nobody has this idea. Nobody's really pumped about the concept of going to war. So I just think you have to be respectful to our armed forces. And I think you have to be a little bit more creative than that. I think that's a really easy out. That's kind of like, well, why should I do something? Because I said so. Really? Like, we're, we're a little bit more creative than that as a profession. So um, that doesn't mean that there's not a time for, you know, uh, some kind of legitimating tactic. And I'm not saying that you just go up and say, hey, Sally, Susie, Timmy, Bobby, uh, you know, it's okay. Just like do this when you feel like it. And whoa, nobody's saying that. And, you know, there's been a no shortage of people that have watched me coach over the years. I don't coach like that. But I'm just saying right now we're talking about this militaristic approach. So let's keep it where it is. That's not a renewable resource. And I don't think that punishing the entire group is a long-term effective strategy for motivating lazy athletes. The next piece, don't approach them transactionally. Coaching is a relationship-centered profession. It is. Yet many coaches tend to just rely on the aforementioned dictatorial approach. And this generally happens because that's how they were coached or they're modeling someone else who they perceive to be successful who did this. But guys, that's just not going to work. You know, reprimanding somebody or just casually walking by them and kind of getting on them if they're not doing what you ask them to do, if you don't really know them, is also not an effective strategy. Guess what? You got to get to know your athletes. That's why there's a chapter in my book called Know Thy Athlete. You have to understand them. Now, we put archetypes in the book, and some people say, well, that's prejudice, and that's bias, and whatever. Okay, the archetypes are a framework. 99% of people that read the book in a discerning fashion and take the course all have come up to me and said, I at least know 10 kids that are this archetype, or I've worked with 20 people that are that archetype. They exist. Archetypes exist in totality, right? That's just the case. Now, Is everybody going to be the same in every situation? No, we've mentioned this before. Archetypes are fluid, but you need to get to know your athletes because there's a bigger reason of why they don't seem motivated. I don't think I need to belabor that one again. That responsibility falls on you as a coach. Two more. Do not always single them out. Now, I've made this mistake before too. I've just, you know, I've had a group of kids and they're doing whatever. And I say, hey, Jordan, 
nice half squats, buddy. You feel like going full effort today? Or are we just kind of checking the card? Are we just going? And, you know, I've done any number of things, you know, and, and we all kind of do it in, in jest and sometimes we're serious and there can be a place for it. But if that's your go-to tactic, again, that you're just going to single people out and, you know, the rest of the team is now going to see that person as a leper instead of a leader. Well, eventually there's some kind of alienating issues there too. Guys, mental health is a serious thing right now. You can't just Again, we're not trying to say hold their hand and tell them it's all okay. I'm trying to say vary your approaches, right? Vary your approaches like you'd vary your programming. I say this again and again and again. Building buy-in is periodization for people. Leading is periodization for people. You've got to use different tactics and different strategies. But if you always single somebody out, that's going to build resentment. It is. It's going to build resentment. How would you like it if somebody came and evaluated what you did and any little thing that did not fit with what they perceived to be a successful output or a meaningful output, you got just chastised for, whether you agreed with it or not, and whether you had a good reason for it or not, you'd start to build resentment. And when you have that kind of resentment, that's going to build deeper issues within the team. You can actually see somebody who might've been a leader archetype become more of this skeptic slash manipulator just because of how they're treated. And that's, that's not optimal, guys, because if you have somebody that has leader-type characteristics, but maybe they're not quite, you know, uh, fully blossomed yet as a leader, maybe they're not fully mature, they can take a right turn to the dark side really easily. And now, all of a sudden, instead of influencing things for the better, they're influencing everybody else for the worse. And, and listen, I'll admit, like, I'm a glutton for some kind of punishment. It's part of why I like working with pro guys and I like working with kids too, but like, I like working with pro guys. Cause a lot of these guys are like, they don't, the first minute they meet me, they don't care. Right. They, they're just like, who are you? What are you like? This is what I've done, you know, whatever. And, and you've got to build buy-in while trying to build buy-in, but you've got to give them space. You have to give them ground to gain ground is, is what I'm saying, you know? And so understand those pieces. All right. So you don't want to approach them or you don't want to approach them transactionally. You don't always want to single them out. And then finally, guys, don't engage only when something is wrong. This goes hand in hand with the relational piece. You have to make sure that you're actually, that's fine if you're going to get on them and you're going to criticize and you're going to give them a hard time and you're going to try to hold them accountable, but make sure you're doing the opposite. When they do things right, make sure you're giving ample positive reinforcement. Again, nobody's suggesting you give a hug. Nobody's suggesting you become Mr. Rogers, but make sure that if you're going to call them out for the bad things, you've got to make sure and note that the good things that they're doing. And that's just simple coaching and learning and relating and again, being a person. Right. So when you look into a lot of this, you know, and, and going back through them, things you should not do, don't assume they just don't care. Don't blame it solely on them. Don't just rely on punishing the whole group. Don't try to approach them transactionally. Don't always single them out. Don't only engage when something is wrong. It just means you got to adapt guys and you've got to look deeper. You've got to look under the hood. And this is where you're really going to know if you're, if you're meant for this field or not, because if you feel like, you know what, I just love the training and I want to get them ready for game day and I don't have time to deal with the other people problems and management stuff. Listen carefully. You're not meant to coach. You're not. And that's fine. You can, you can riddle me on Twitter about this. You can get on me on Amazon reviews. You can denigrate everything I do. But if you do not like solving people problems, get out of the field, get out of the field. There's too many transactional coaches already in the field. Get out, go do something else. Because you cannot be in this field if you just expect every single person to be bought. What fun would that be? What fun would that be? Relationships should be tough. Coaching should be hard. 
you should want to be challenged. Don't, don't act like you're somebody that just wants to be challenged under the bar when you train and you strain. But the minute it comes with people that don't just do what you want to say or kind of have this kind of kowtow, obsequious kind of demeanor about them where they, yes, I will do everything uh, that you're not interested anymore because that's, that's not the fun of it. That's not. And listen, you know, nobody's got this all figured out. So if you're getting defensive and you're angry and you think that uh, like nobody's saying that I'm the perfect coach, I default to some of these things. Sometimes it's human. That's the fun of it, guys. That's the fun of it. Listen, if you want to dive more deeply into this, specifically how-to, because I know I talked a lot about steps, but if you want how-tos, you want guides, all those things, make sure you check out my online course, Bought In. Make sure you come to the apprenticeship. Those are the step-by-step how-to interactive components that we have available if these things are interesting to you, which I hope they certainly are. Guys, that's it for now. Don't forget, go to the show notes, download your freebie assessment. Uh, it's it's really easy to do. It's, it's just a reflective kind of companion and guide. And make sure you go to artofcoaching.com. Check out the podcast reflections. We have a great group of people helping uh, me with those. I do some of them. Kevin Whitesell, Brad Lashinsky. And, and it's just a way that you can extract more out of every episode. I appreciate all of you. I hope you have an excellent rest of the week. And please share this episode with others if the spirit moves you. Take care. Oh, you're still listening. Listen, I'm glad that you stuck around for a little bit. I want to make sure you guys know about the newsletter that I put out each month. I'm not somebody that tries to inundate uh, your inbox or anything like that, so you don't have to worry. You're not going to hear from me every day. I have a job and family responsibilities, much like all of you, but I do put out a newsletter that has helpful links. Uh, it'll showcase new episodes, new events. It'll tell you where I'm going to be and, and what I'm going to be speaking on. So if you're interested, make sure to go to the show notes or you can go to artofcoaching.com backslash start. Again, that's artofcoaching.com backslash start. Join the newsletter. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with everything. I announce anything I do there first. It always gets announced through the newsletter first and then social media and everything else. So artofcoaching.com backslash start. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Appreciate you joining me.